Good morning, church family, and welcome back, and uh, happy Lord's Day to you. Uh, I want to just want to thank Kyle and Macy Tanner for leading us in, in worship this morning. I, I just enjoy so much uh, being involved with worship and with memorial. Uh, we are so blessed to have this wonderful couple lead us in our worship time, and I just uh, uh, thank them both for doing such a good job and with excellence and with faithfulness. Um, this morning, I want, I want us to wrap up our, our sermon series on the Great Commission. Um, I want to share with you some additional truth and insights. And, um, you know, in Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And, and then, in, that's in Acts 1.8. In Acts 2, it recounts the day of Pentecost and what happened there. And it flows right into Peter's powerful sermon describing the, the, the sovereignty and God's sovereignty in, in concerning Jesus' life and, and his death and his resurrection. Um, then in verse 36, uh, God's word through Peter tells us, that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And uh, I want to read this. It's in Acts chapter 2. If you have your scripture and would open it up to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm just going to read one verse. One verse. Um, God's word says this. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I think this is a huge statement. It says that Jesus is Christ. He is Savior. He's the Anointed One. He's the Messiah. He came to earth to save lost humanity. You know, the supreme motive of Jesus' coming to earth was to be the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior. And when we review him uh, as Savior, we are reminded of what he does for us. See, the beginning of our journey into the Christian life takes place when we recognize and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. But notice also the term Lord. The term, the word Lord means master. And when applied to Jesus, it means that he's to be in control of our lives. When we view him as Lord, our lives take on an active note of obedience. Because the lordship of Christ means obedience and faithfulness on our part. He's already done his part. The obedience and faithfulness is our part. You know, Paul Apple, he said this, he said, you don't want Jesus to rule your life? Then you don't want Jesus, period. You don't want to be a Christian. You don't want to be a disciple. He said, Lordship is the only relationship that Jesus offers, is to be your Lord. This verse says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now, don't misunderstand this statement. Peter's not saying that uh, 
That God the Father will make Jesus something or someone that He has not been before He came in the flesh. Jesus has always been God. He's been Lord. He's always been Christ. But by His death, by His resurrection, by His exaltation, the Father uh, installs Him, so to speak, in His rightfully exalted position before all creation. When he says that he made him both Lord and Christ, that's what he's talking about. Or as Peter says in Acts 10, verse 36, he is Lord of all. That's a a huge statement. He is Lord of all. I love it because in in this verse, it says know for certain. And the word certain is the first word in the Greek sentence there. And so it is emphasizing even more the absolute certainty of Peter's dramatic um, declaration here. His presentation of the evidence of Jesus as being the Messiah and the Lord should leave no hint of doubt in the ears of those Jewish listeners. I mean, as we might say or hear in the courtroom today, Peter declared the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I think that's huge because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, of course, is the ultimate one who opened the spiritual eyes of the Jews so that they could turn from darkness to light, enabling them to obey Peter's command to know. See, on this day at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were swept into the kingdom. They were convicted of heart by the Holy Spirit through Peter's sermon. I think this is, this is wonderful because he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. You know, today we are all such control freaks. I mean, in our pride and in our fallenness, We think we can control everything in our lives and in our world. It's amazing how we want to to control everything except our tongue. I mean, we want to control the the situations that go on every day. We want to control our homes, control our work, control all the things that we do, but we don't control our tongue. And James tells us that the tongue is, is, is a very hard instrument of the body to control. It's something that if you can control that, you, you've, done, you've done well. But understand this, you know, someone made the statement that it was a miracle in Balaam's day for a donkey to speak, but today it's a miracle when a donkey keeps quiet. (laughs) I think uh, we all understand the implications of that. You know, someone else pointed out that it takes a baby about two years to learn how to talk and about 50 years to learn how to keep his mouth shut. You know, it's, it's important because we understand, you know, the, the tongue is so hard for us to control. Whether we're saying something uh, without thinking or we're just talking incessantly, you know, God's word tells us that we will have to give an account for every idle word spoken. Now, evidently, there was this guy, he was, had been fishing on a pier, and he had been fishing for several hours, and he, he hadn't caught anything, and, 
as, as two women walked onto the pier, just as, as they started onto the pier, he, he got a bite and he, he caught a fish, but it was a, a very small fish, and he, and he pulled it in, and, and um, you know, as, as these uh, ladies walked by, one of them uh, decided she was going to rebuke him in some way, and, and she said, aren't you ashamed of yourself for so cruelly uh, catching this poor little fish? And you know, the man without, without even looking up, I mean, he, he was kind of discouraged at that moment. He said, maybe you're right, lady. But if the fish had kept his mouth shut, he wouldn't have been caught. And I think it's a very valid point. Many times we are tripped up by our tongues and by our speech because we um, aren't, we're, we're talking when we shouldn't be, when we should be listening. You know, but we talk about a lot of these uncertain days that we live in, these uncertain times that we're living in as a result of the coronavirus. But the truth is, we have always lived in uncertain times. We have always lived in uncertain days. We've never been in control of our own lives, of our own world, because we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. Not much has changed other than the fear in our culture you see, when we talk about control, control is an illusion. We think we are in control, but we're not in control of anything. We're not in control of, of, of much of anything in this world. We'd like to be, but we're not. That's the reality. Not only that, understand this, we will never be effective in the Great Commission until we surrender control of our lives to the Lord Jesus. This morning I want you to think about something with me. I want you to think about living a Christ-controlled life rather than an uncontrolled life or even a self-controlled life. But living a Christ-controlled life. See, there's some biblical illustrations that, that will be helpful to us in, in discussing the subject of control. I would submit to you this morning that the prodigal son, the prodigal son lived an uncontrolled life. We find this story in Luke 15, and if you don't, if you've never read it, you need to go to Luke 15 and read through it. But what we see in this, in this passage, I think it starts around verse 11 or so and goes down through 32, 33, somewhere in there. But this young man, he took his inheritance from his father and he squandered it in a faraway country. He wanted to be free from control. He willfully went his way like the old Frank Sinatra song, My Way. Some of the lyrics of which aptly describe the prodigal's perilous path. Let me read just a few of these to you. I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. 
See, the prophet Isaiah, he gave even more apt description of the prodigal's journey. He said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah 53, 6. See, the prodigal son, he rebelled against the authority of his father and he journeyed to a faraway place to enjoy the pleasure and freedom. And it says there that he squandered his estate on loose living. You know, that's a graphic description of his excessive and unrestrained pursuit of sinful pleasure. He was spending his fortune thoughtlessly throwing it away with a a debauched lifestyle, a a morally corrupt, intemperate, sensual lifestyle, even including prostitutes, according to Luke 15.30. And I want you to keep something else in mind. That what he was squandering was a third of his father's lifetime earnings. They weren't even his. He didn't earn them. He was squandering away what his father had worked hard for. Notice where the uncontrolled life led the prodigal son. Understand this. Every choice, big or small, entails a future. Every choice that you make entails a future. Either a positive one or a negative one, depending on the choices we make. But sooner or later, those choices bring consequences, either positive or negative. And that's the case here. The young man runs out of money and he he finds himself in a famine. And then he found himself in the pig pen. See, the prodigal's lifestyle was not saving him. It was destroying him. The uncontrolled life will prove to be disastrous. Hebrews 11.25 describes the enjoyment, if you will, of the passing pleasures of sin. And as we will see in the prodigal's partying, it produced passing pleasures and the emphasis is on the word passing. For a moment in time, he may have felt enjoyment and pleasure. But soon it was gone. The problem is, is that sin is enslaving. Second Peter 2.19 speaks of false teachers who are promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. In John 8.31 Jesus declared, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, this little poem, this little ditty that that I'm going to share with you accurately describes the danger of the younger son who was now exposed. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray. Sin will cost you more than you ever dreamed you would pay. Sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay. 
Brothers and sisters, that's how sin works. And when sin has given birth, it brings forth death. I can't make it any plainer. This is the uncontrolled lifestyle. Do do what you want, do whatever you want, do however you want for as long as you want. And you're going to pay more than you want. It's going to cost you. These choices, these decisions have consequences. See, the prodigal son is a biblical example of an uncontrolled lifestyle. Now moving on, the rich young ruler lived a self-controlled life. He came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's a point to observe reading what is wrong regarding the young man's question. I mean, let's think about if you had a rich relative pass away and they leave you an inheritance. Now, what do you have to do in order to inherit the inheritance? Nothing. You don't have to do anything. A person doesn't have to do anything to inherit an inheritance. See, an inheritance is something that we receive as a gift from someone else. And of course, since salvation is a gift, we still must receive it by faith. Even an earthly inheritance will not be forced on someone to whom the inheritance has, inheritance has been bequeathed. One God-man died that we might inherit his eternal life and his perfect righteousness. But these gifts must be received by faith. So this man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus began to spell out the laws for him. And the rich man said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. See, the rich man, this young rich man was saying that his life has been self-disciplined. It was self-regulated. It was self-controlled. In keeping with his legalistic system of self-righteousness, he was seeking that one elusive good work that would push him over the top to obtain eternal life for himself. However, this was not enough because Jesus said, one thing you still lack. This story is in Luke chapter 18. And this story illustrates that human goodness does not save. Your goodness cannot save you. This young man came to Jesus conscious of his own righteousness. He worked hard to keep the laws. He was a disciplined and controlled man. Adrian Rogers said that he sees the well-known story of the rich young ruler as tragically applicable to many folks who are in the church today in America. Oh, they've joined a local church, but they've never truly joined Jesus, the head of the church. They have religion, but they lack relationship. They have head knowledge without heart change. See, there is a problem, a real problem 
And that is people attend church. They listen to sermons. They join churches. But they never radically, dramatically, eternally are transformed. Oh, they have religion, but they've never met God. Many churches today, he says, are filled with baptized pagans. Baptized pagans. They've been vaccinated. Are you listening? They've been vaccinated with a mild form of Christianity, and they've never really caught the the real disease. You see, and so the church may have many folks, but the people in the church are often empty. They come, they go through the motions, they try to live outwardly a good life, but they've never really truly found new life. They've never been transformed. This is a problem. See, the very fact that the rich young ruler was seeking eternal life indicates that he recognized a need for eternal life. Something, something was missing in his life. Now you see, in the world's eyes, he had it all. He was young, he was rich, and he was in charge. He was a ruler. He had it all. But in God's eyes, he didn't have anything of eternal value. He's like so many people who are relatively wealthy here in our country And don't sense any need for eternal life. I mean, after all, life is good. Living the dream. Those are popular sayings. Living the dream today. The tragedy is that the lost world thinks that life is good because they have things. But the truth is, is their life is tragically empty. They know they're not alive to God. But you know what? They couldn't care less. But God in His grace and in His mercy, He has set eternity in the hearts of all people, in the hearts of humanity. But most pridefully, people refuse to follow this divinely implanted part of our character. As Daniel Estes puts it, he says humans are bound by time But they're wired for eternity. They intuitively know that there must be meaning somewhere and that they must be made for more than the hollow daily grind. Get up, go to work, come home, go to sleep. Get up, go to work, come home, go to sleep. See, the rich young ruler, he was willing to acknowledge that he, had made, he was made for something far more than just chasing after the wind. And he seems to be off to such a promising start in this life. But listen, that is the limitation of a self-controlled life. In the self-controlled life, everything evolves around that person around the man, around the woman. Understand and know this. Hear what I'm saying. There is something better than an uncontrolled life or even a self-controlled life. The Christ-controlled life is better. See, the Apostle Paul, 
he lived a Christ-controlled life. You remember as he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus. He met Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, it records this miracle of conversion. Up to this point, uh, his Damascus road, on his Damascus road experience, Saul had lived his own way. And let me tell you, it was a very self-controlled life until he met Jesus. And then his life became a Christ-controlled life. See, after his conversion, Jesus Christ was in control of Paul. He met the master. He met the Lord on that trip to Damascus. I want to tell you this morning, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've settled the issue of who he is, you need to ask that second question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'll do whatever you ask. Instead of worrying about survival, we need to be seeking revival in the church, amongst God's people. Individual, personal repentance and revival. And then when we come together corporately and are able to do so safely, we will bring revival, a, a revived church back on the scene. You see, we can't just sit back and bide our time. We need to be singing that song, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. See, it's Jesus Christ who purchased us by his death on the cross. And he is the one that has the right to possess us, to be in charge, to fill us, and to use us. See, Christ is to control our lives just like a hand controls a glove. I brought a little latex glove here with me today. Thank you, Gary Harris. And um, this, this glove represents our life. It's kind of just empty. It's kind of just there. It's, it's lifeless. There's nothing to it. It's inanimate. But once that glove, once our life is filled with Jesus Christ... There is no room for anything else in that glove. And that glove will do whatever the life inside that glove guides it and directs it to do. See, our life is like this glove and, and, and Christ filling us and in control of our life is just like that. He is able to use us to accomplish his purposes and to bring forth his kingdom however he chooses. But apart from him, we are nothing. We will accomplish nothing of anything that has eternal value. But you see, understand this. Christ in control of our lives is also like a hand 
that controls a pen. This pen is just an inanimate object. It's got ink, it's got plastic, it's got other things. But if it is put into the hand of someone that can write a message that the whole world can see. See, I believe that's what God wants to use you and me for is to accomplish his kingdom work, his great commission of taking the gospel to the entire world. Allow God to use you like a glove. Allow him to fill you. Allow him to to take you into his hand and through your life, write a message that the whole world can see. So I ask you this question this morning. What kind of life are you choosing to live? An uncontrolled life? That's dangerous. That's dangerous. It may not take you where you want to go. You may end up somewhere you do not want to be. That's the consequences of an uncontrolled life. You know, the self-controlled life is good. People appreciate that in our society. But what I'm trying to tell you is there is something better. It's called the Christ-controlled life. Are you willing to submit to Jesus as both Lord and Christ? As your Savior, but also as your Lord? There can be no salvation apart from our repentance of our sin. Brothers and sisters, understand this. There is no one that is batting a thousand. We are looking for willing hearts. I don't have this down. I struggle every day. And every day I mess up. And I come back and I repent of the sin that goes on in my life. But it's a Christ-controlled life that the, the Master, the Savior can use. I mean, do you believe that Christ is right now at the right hand of God the Father, actively exercising power and influence over what happens here on earth and in our lives today? I mean, the great shepherd, the Lord of the church, is actively shepherding his flock. He has poured out the Holy Spirit to give us power and direction in fulfilling the great commission which he has left for us to do. Will we do that? Allowing Christ to control us in order to accomplish his work. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for being with us as we worship in our homes. I I thank you for, for guiding us. I pray, Father, that this would be a time of renewal, a time of repentance, that even in these homes, even in our own home, Father, we can repent of the sin that so easily besets us. Father, we can come clean to you. Father, I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray that you would cleanse your bride, that you would wash your bride in the blood of Jesus. 
And Father, that we as your people would, would desire more of you and less of us and that we would be willing to be willing to be filled by your Holy Spirit to say that we are tired of living the uncontrolled life, that we are tired of living the self-controlled life. But Lord Jesus, we want you to be our master and our Lord and that, that we would submit and surrender ourselves to you. May it be so today through your Holy Spirit as he convicts us, as he guides us. And Lord Jesus, we're going to be very careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all that you do in our lives. I pray that you would guide us in a time of response. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.